You are listening to episode 81. And I also would like to introduce today the Okiki Video Bootcamp. Yes, I will be launching a course, which I will have a wait list in the show notes. And I will be launching some group coaching as well. I know there has been a lot of requests lately of people wanting to learn how can they create content for their own brands. And so I'm looking forward to bringing you along in the journey with that. If that's something that you've wanted to gain skills and techniques on, this will be for you. You'll learn systems on how to create content effectively and efficiently and have more time for yourself in the process while reaching your clients. Again, you can find the information for the Okiki Video Bootcamp in the show notes below. Well, I am very excited to release this episode because it comes just in time for a movie that you may or may not know about that came out that talks about this very theme, and that is Afrofuturism. So, I'm sure you know by now I'm referring to the movie Black Panther, which was released earlier this week, but I actually am very intrigued by the idea of Afrofuturism, and I really wanted to talk to someone who is also passionate and excited about this concept as well, and that is none other than artist Echo Nimako who is Toronto-based. He is an internationally exhibiting Lego artist. So he creates and builds black civilizations in a futuristic style using Lego. And his displays have been shown all over the world, including the Urban Nation Museum for Urban Contemporary Art in Berlin. And he has also had his exhibits be toured. Not only that, in 2019, he was able to show his exhibit at the Aga Khan Museum. So in today's episode, not only are we going to talk about themes of Afrofuturism, but we're going to talk to an artist who is being innovative and creating art with Lego and really bringing in these themes and different cultures to the front stage for discussion. If you have been enjoying these episodes, be sure to leave me a like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I would love to know, are these podcasts and these episodes inspiring you? What are your dreams and what are you going to aspire to? You can also watch my podcast on YouTube as well. And this podcast is also brought to you by Okiki Consulting. At Okiki Consulting, we help you with your video content strategy needs, whether it's videography, video editing in both languages in English and French if you're based in Canada. If you want more information about how we can support you with content for your business, you can visit us at okikiconsulting.com. And now on with the episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Okiki podcast. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Eka Nimako, and he is a Toronto-based and internationally acclaimed Lego artist. And so he mixes Afrofuturism and uses Lego as his art medium, which is very interesting. And I'm very excited to get into it and just really changing the narratives around how we talk about Black people, how we talk about their impact on society. So thank you so much, Eka, for being part of the Okiki podcast today. Thank you for having me. So let's get into it. What was your career path and educational path that brought you into being an artist, let alone a Lego artist? Well, I've pretty much been an artist as far as I can remember. Of course, I didn't call it that when I was very young. I just knew that I wanted to create things, uh, things that I saw. A lot of my inspiration, I wasn't introduced to, to formal fine art or institutional like gallery art, not until later in life, but I drew all of my artistic inspiration from cartoons and movies and comics and toys. And that's what really kind of got me excited about creating things. Uh, and then I would start to draw comics and not long after that, I realized that I could draw or that I enjoyed it and that people responded to what I drew as, hey, you can draw, you know? <laughs> so you kind of get informed by the world in many ways that you're this thing, this artist, all you know, or at least all I knew is that I wanted to just make things and create things. So yeah, it's been honestly a lifelong multidisciplinary practice and the Lego part didn't come into play until later, maybe 2007. The Transformers would be funny enough, actually really kind of sparked my interest in building again. And through that, I started just experimenting with the material and realizing that there were other people in the world that made creations out of Lego that I could be inspired by. But of course, when I was doing my work, it was going to be at least initially Black-centered, right? So yeah, and from there, things just kind of took off. I find that really interesting. Just to kind of go into that, so you said you were informed by people around you and they really saw this talent that you had. And I guess along the way, what were kind of the supports and I guess avenues that you tapped into that really helped you really dig into this art? Because I know typically being an artist, let alone, especially with an African background, although we do have a lot of <laughs> Art yeah. to ourselves and to our culture it's not really the pathway that's encouraged to us no, no <laughs> most I, of the time so I'm just curious like yeah what were those resources you found along the way that really helped you tap into this in a serious way well you know how it is if you don't get the kind of support that you want from your family then your friend groups become your your support system and your external family and my my parents did right by me mainly by buying me Lego, <laughs> of course because, you know, Lego's not inexpensive. So the fact that they kept Lego in my hands and in the household was honestly inspiration enough. And it gave me the material to exercise my imagination. Um, and then, yeah, I got into music pretty heavily in my, my adolescence. So I was making music with my friends pretty much every day and just consistently. Through that, it just kept me in the arts, you know, and then at some point later in the road, I, I wanted to go to post-secondary. So I went to York University to study art. Um, I was still making music at that time, but I didn't want to study 
music. I, I didn't feel like theory was the thing that was going to move me, but I had always had a penchant for drawing. So I thought that would make sense. And through drawing, I actually got into sculpture while at school. And then, yeah, that, that really kind of just invigorated me to create because three-dimensional is very different from two-dimensional, you know, of course. So once I started getting my hands involved and then I was at school around the same time when that movie came out. And so all these things were just swirling around me, providing all this in, in, inspiration. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it really just kind of blossomed. And I had a lot of support from, from friends and, and family too. Like once they saw what I was able to do, then totally, you know, I, I got support from everyone. My brothers, my mom, my dad. I love that. So you're really like a multi-artist. There was music, there was art, <laughs> there was kind of all the pieces of it coming together. And just even as an artist and as you went through that journey, um, how did you, I guess, what initiatives did you take to kind of really set yourself apart, even in, not just from a brand perspective, but also from a creation and ideas perspective? Because I, I'm sure the biggest challenge being an artist is how do you create something that's original to you? So I think you started touching on it, but at what point did you start finding your voice and having people begin to react to it and go, what, what is being created over here? Yeah. That would be 2014 for sure. I was fortunate that I received a grant for the TD Bank had been doing a Black History Month engagement for a few years at that point, they teamed up with this local Black arts organization called BAND. And through BAND, they would select artists in key cities across the country to, and then give them, once you put in your submission, if you were selected, then you got a grant to just create something for Black History Month. And so this was the first time I had received funding as an individual artist, because all the other times before that, it was with like my music and my friends and we were all doing it together. So there was this kind of connection and support system in fact, but this was the first time it was just all on me to create stuff. And that's the first time also when I created my first um, black child out of Lego. So yeah, 2014, I had my first building black exhibition and that's what really opened me up to the community. And it was great because up to that point, you know, when you make music, it's rare that you find music that is decidedly for Black people. You know, music is so universal. You know, that you have a lot of Black artists, of course, making music, but the songs they're singing, they're not always saying this is, you know, this is a song about Black people or for Black people. It's just, it's music. But when I'm creating visual art that depicts Black people, especially out of a medium that never really seen Black people being created from, then there's sensation. I feel that that occurs and, and people definitely were really coming out and supporting them. That's what really brought me to the world, essentially. Not immediately, it took time. <laughs> I was still a struggling artist in 2014, make no mistake. <laughs> I love it. I think another thing that drew me to you and your art is the Lego part, actually, because yeah. even for myself, like my dad refused to buy me Barbies. Uh, he's like, those aren't constructive. I'm getting you Legos. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And I, no one else could like relate to that. He's like, no, you're going to build things and you're going to use your mind. So I just find that really interesting. 
But then, yeah, so that opportunity, that funding kind of really allowed you to work on a project that people could see and begin to see your ideas. And even in the visuals I've seen on Instagram, like what you're creating with the Lego is just, and I bring that background with myself and Lego because what you're creating is like nothing I've ever seen before. And honestly, I'm kind of confused how you create these structures (laughs) because looking at a Lego package, my mind wouldn't even go there. So I think it's just very interesting how you've managed to restructure things in a way that you couldn't read in a package like that. So I guess I kind of have two questions, but in the development part of these visuals that you're creating, how long does it take you to come up with some of these concepts, especially because you're really creating the images and the visuals from scratch and they're not something someone could just read from a box? Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the, the keys to people's fascination and my own fascination, honestly, with my work is, is that it is something like where when you say the word Lego, it means something to everybody. It's so global at this point. There's some image that kind of conjures in the mind of what it is. And that image, whatever people are thinking, unless they've seen my work, is not my work. You know, it's, it's not what they're thinking. Even when I introduce like myself as an artist and what I do, I, I always find it's important to follow up and say, you should te- check out the work though, because you say you're a Lego builder or a Lego artist, like, oh, cool. And they, the, the chances are they're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> so it's important for them to see what it is and say, oh, so this is what you're making. So yeah, this is, this is what it is. And yeah, the process, honestly, it just keeps evolving. But I think in its fundamentals, form oh and i didn't answer your question in terms of how long it takes to create these sculptures it can take anywhere from a hundred hours to a thousand hours depending on the size of the sculpture so i think over a thousand hours is the most myself and my assistants have put into creating the sculpture and yeah this spectrum falls somewhere in between that so it can go up it can go down it, it really just depends on the complexity of the sculpture as well as the anatomy speaks to me you know, it's a very fluid process. So I'm not, I start out usually by just building. I don't really do a lot of drawing for my sculptures. Sometimes I'll do some large scale drawing. For the large scale works, it's important to get a sense of the proportions and scales before I start doing things because usually I have to have a metal frame fabricated by metalsmiths to have the artwork stable enough so that I can create with it. And that process is a whole thing altogether. There's a lot of measurements, math that gets into it. So for larger stuff, there's, it's a little bit more technical, but for the sculptures like, you know, um, Anansi that you might be able to see here in the studio, something that's like under four feet tall, usually I can get away with creating armatures myself using metal that I, I buy from hardware stores and just manipulating the metal and using other like, uh, fabricated devices like brackets and things like that to hold the metal in place. And then I just start building. Really, my main interest is getting my hands in the material as soon as possible and starting to experiment because there's a thousand ways I can do anything. You know, it's not, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to build this. I I have no idea how I'm going to build something. There's somewhat of a formula for figurative sculptures of children and things like that. But no sculpture is made exactly the same way, none. Even if I'm trying to duplicate an exact sculpture, I can't do it. I, 
the, the Lego creates parts so frequently that there's so much innovation there. How I make a cheek for a child, you know, or an eyebrow for a child in one sculpture would change if I was to start a new sculpture in the next month because there's just so many different parts, so much opportunity to create new um, and exciting ways of doing things. Yeah, I love the fact that with the medium, there's a lot of opportunity to, yeah, evolve and that it's just the way it is, is like from what it sounds like, it sounds like there's constant change in that. That must be exciting from an artistic perspective. And then you said in, you know, at that point when you had that big launch, you were still kind of like a struggling artist, which is like typical for most artists. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but by the time I saw you on Instagram, it looked like you had had displays of your art all over the world. And I know recently, which I was very surprised by, you you had an exhibit come to a city that was close to where I, well, it's like three hours away, but it's in the same province where I live. So yeah, I was curious, at what point did you start getting these kind of like international asks and that the brand really took off in a way where, yeah, right. it's basically... It was gradual, you know. I think the last couple of years have been really influential and helped to really stabilize my career. Uh, I have a, a formal partnership with the Lego group at this point now, which was great that that just happened actually this year. Just prior to that, in fact, it was just like a process of getting more gallerists and places interested in my work. And Instagram has been really, really helpful. I've noticed just because you never know who's watching, right? And I think a lot of the offers that I get or people reaching out to me, it's because they've seen my work on Instagram and they don't always immediately look out. There's people that when I talk to them, you know, oh, I've been following your work for some time. So, you know, they're just like watching from afar for a couple of years until perhaps the right opportunity. And they're just like, oh, you know, because I think a lot of people that move in the art world, they have like this rolling list of artists that they want to work with and they just keep it upstairs, you know, and when that time comes where opportunity presents itself, then they reach out and they're like, hey, we have this opportunity, we like your work, and wanted to talk about it. So I have to definitely thank Instagram and even the Lego group in particular, because I think when they started posting my work, that's when my followership just kind of expanded. And you know, you all we all know how that goes, right? Like people just share, 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 and it gets across the right people's eyes. Especially think uh, since the pandemic, I mean, we're still in it. I, I don't like to talk like it's over now. It's still present. But of course, you can't fight the fact that things are opening up again and people are kind of moving past it and trying to get people indoors again to come and see things and experience things again. So I'm getting quite a bit of people interested in exhibitions. I'm just, it takes a long time to make my art. So I just wish I could keep up with the demand and make more art a lot faster, but it takes the time that it takes. So there, there's definitely, definitely going to see more of my work out there in the global sphere in the coming years. Definitely. I, I could say like, the way you've curated your page and the experience on your website, uh, which we will link in the show notes. I can tell that this was very well thought through by an artist <laughs> and it just has such a like immediate experience. Like once you walk into it. So I really love how you created that. Yeah. And I think that's a, another kind of segue I want to go into with you. What 
kind of advices would you give on artists, especially in trying to promote themselves? Because I definitely love advocating art. Like I go to art galleries in my city and I just appreciate art, I think, because I know it took the artist a lot of time and I'm not that patient, but I love <laughs> seeing the outcome of what they've created, right? I'm more like more instant with photography, but I love being art and appreciating different types of art. So I guess with the world and how things have been going, what would be your advice to artists if they're really like, no, this is what I really want to do. And what steps would you suggest they take to really getting their brand out there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. First things first, you I think unless you're a collaborative artist specifically, you have to become comfortable with solitude. And I think, and this goes to more people that haven't already been experiencing art and making art in their own like spaces at home, wherever the case. Because once you do it, you do realize how much time you spend alone creating your work. And most importantly, you've got to be realistic. You know, a lot of people want to be artists, but what goes into being an artist is not easy, you know. When I talk about being a struggling artist, I'm talking about making the choice between going out and finding a job so that you're not worrying about rent every month or not going and looking for a job because you want to make art and finding ways to get your supplies, finding ways to eat, finding ways to keep a roof over your head, but not sacrificing the time that you need to put into your art to make it exceptional so that you can have a successful career. You know, depending on the type of art you make, some artists can pump out artworks a lot faster because of the medium they're using. So art production is important, making art as much as possible and looking into reading a lot, reading a lot of articles about galleries, and what might be best approach for you. Because at some point in the past, you couldn't really be a successful artist without having gallery representation. Just like being in the past, you couldn't be a successful artist really without major label support, you know? It's hard to do everything yourself. And on top of that, they were the gatekeepers in many ways, right? They have the distribution contacts, they have all like the venue contacts, they have basically it's all part of this large industry. Whereas now, you know, you don't need a record label to become a huge artist. You can make video, look at Doja Cat, right? She got huge. And I remember when she was still making the cow videos and like online that just had like a, an online presence. And then she becomes like one of the top artists in the world that her name just kind of popped into my mind. I'm not a huge fan, but <laughs> she's, you know, I appreciate people that just are successful in their given modus operandi. If you're, I mean, I'll have to like your music, but if you're really successful at it, then you're doing, you're doing something right. But yeah, there, there used to be this period where you couldn't represent yourself. You had to seek others and other kind of industries to, to give you a leg up. But now you don't need that. Like I don't have uh, gallery representation and I'm okay with that. There's a lot more work that I have to do and my staff has to do, but at least you're not giving up 50% of your earnings. <laughs> you know what I mean, that's a large chunk. You know, it's a large chunk. And I think I've also been fortunate in that my medium already carries a, a, like an iconic presence in the world. So you don't have to do anything. Just say there's a Lego thing over there. Someone, people will just, oh, Lego, really? And they just be interested in it without seeing anything, you know? 
So on top of that, if you're using an already popular household item thing and the stuff you're making is exceptional, then you know you're 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 bound for success as long as you keep working hard and get on top of your business. So yeah, getting back to the advice for others, you've got to be realistic in that are you ready for this? You know, is this what you truly want? Because I know a lot of people that do the plan B lifestyle, like you know, where it's I want to be an artist, but I'm studying accounting because of plan B and all that. There's a very small percentage of people that do go that route and actually succeed in the thing that they wanted, they, they want to do while having this plan B that they're dedicating all this time to. I was never really that person, despite the advice of my dad, you know, gotta have a plan B. I'm like, yeah, yeah, plan B. Meanwhile, like, I'll just go on social assistance and play and, you know, build this Lego sculptures all day rather than have a plan B and think about that because I always knew that there was something burning inside that was going to, you know, lead to me creating things that would help me find my path. And I think other art, like there's so many people that want to make art, but they don't want to put in the blood, sweat and tears that goes into making art. They don't want to give up the luxuries of things that they get from having gainful employment while doing art on the side. Because to me, when you're doing art on the side, it will be art on the side. You know, if you want it to be art in front, then you've got to put art in the front. It's like side hustles can work for certain industries, but my opinion is you go hard or go home, you know? So if you really want to be an artist out there, you, you've looked at your work and you've been realistic with yourself that you can deal with it and you accept all the things that are going to be coming your way, good and bad, then yeah, you're, you're on the right path. All you need is the talent, <laughs> which can be developed or can be given. You know, I've seen some remarkable people that didn't have much artistic skill in the beginning, but worked really hard at, at practicing and got so much better. Whereas, of course, there's people that are just born and naturally prodigious and they just make things that are quite amazing and astounding from a very early age. And other people, they need to work really, really hard at it. I really love that answer. I feel like it's very well-rounded and realistic and I think someone can definitely take from that and yeah, reflect, so. reflect for themselves because it's a sacrifice. Art is oh, a sacrifice. Yeah. I also wanted to make sure I touched on the type of art that you're creating, especially the main art. A lot of your themes are around Afrofuturism and showing Black culture. Um, you also have workshops called Building Beyond. So I wanted to talk about like the importance you felt in bringing that into the type of art you produced and why you felt so empowered to do that and why you feel like that's a narrative that should continue to be shared, even through the workshops with, with kids that you get to do. Yeah, Building Beyond is the, it's a, great, it's a great vessel for learning about Afrofuturism and the deeper, more fundamental purpose of Afrofuturism is liberation in my opinion. It's about imagining a future where we're all liberated, you know, even in a dystopian future, even if it's like dark and the world is like in some apocalyptic phase, the fact that there are Black people enduring and at the center of these, these stories uh, is crucial. It's important just because we've been left out of so many of these um, movements whether and genres, whether it's science fiction and literature, science fiction and film, whether it's 
fantasy in the same thing and the same realms. There's always this, I find displacement, especially as it exists in the white imagination. And because so much of us are raised within the white imagination, then it becomes that much more crucial for us to embark on our own journeys that touch on and mitigate and expand upon all the, the things that make Black culture so vibrant and resilient and honestly just wavy. You know? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it, it, it's interesting to me because Black culture, Black people, the Afro diaspora, like, there's nothing like it on earth, you know? Like, you have one that the first human beings were found on the continent, were grew and up in Africa, West Africa, East Africa, South Africa. So there's that, okay? And there's the really kind of the, the ethnic aspect of it, which is also very interesting to me because it's almost like there's, like, Black people carry this gene that's like the source or something, you know, because you look at Black people, we can we contain every, um, like, skin color within, you know, our ethnicity. You can have Black people that have really no pigment or melanin at all, and they're still Black. Then you have the, 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 the shades of light skin, and then brown, and then dark skin, and the superbly, beautifully dark skin. And you've seen it, you know, it's just, it's, I, I love, I love just seeing the gamut of like the black experience in every way that it comes. And then just culturally the music and the style and everything. It's like anti-black racism is like a currency traded throughout the world. But at the same time, there is no culture, no people that has been so sought after and emulated and like tried to be contained and, just as, as Black people, our experience is unique on this planet, superbly unique. And despite the fact that, of course, it's had and continues to have a lot of, of course, like problems and strife, it's still remarkable to me, you know, capturing. And so to capture Black joy and to explore civilizations that the world has forgotten or tried to forget that were so influential to world economy and not just economy, but like, but culture and art. It just seems like, you know, why would I want to create, spend my time creating things that other people have created when I can devise narratives and depict narratives of black science fiction and black fantasy and black joy and like the emotional side of it too. And black sanctuary and solace and all of these things that are so necessary for our survival, but also for us to thrive. And, and all of these things are encapsulated in African futurism, which is its own form. Like Afrofuturism and African futurism are pretty much the same coin, just different sides, where one Afrofuturism speaks more to the diaspora and African futurism is focused on the continent. But both of them are about like expanding the culture, expanding our minds through that and, and envisioning futures and worlds and narratives that perhaps we're not seeing now or existed in the past or that we're striving to create for the future. Yeah, I so love what you said and, mm -hmm. and just talking about the range because yeah, definitely the Black experience is not a monolith and 
although media attempts to try and paint it that way, there's just a range of those experiences and you just capture that so well. I'm thinking also about the fact that there seems to be a movement around this. So I saw your art, of course, we know this month Black Panther is coming out and I've seen other um, authors come up with books around this as well, young authors from the diaspora. So I was curious, like, yeah, is that exciting to you to see all these kind of different representations around this discussion? And also, are you part of some sort of community that is really trying to push this as well? I'm very inspired by all of it. I I love seeing and hearing about Afrofuturism and seeing how it inspires others and what they're willing, what they're going to create. Nnedi Okorafor is an amazing African futurist writer. Her books are just next level. M.K. Jemison, Octavia Butler, of course, and just like so many others. And that's just like in literature and then in visual art, you have Young Yemi, he's also a Toronto artist, who's amazing. Paul Lewin, who brings in a lot of like Jujuism and that kind of stuff into his, his imagery. Very fantastical worlds being constructed. Yeah, just so many. Uh, Hebrew Bradley, I don't know if he would call himself an Afrofuturist, but his work is definitely inspired by comics and heroism and putting black children in the front of that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's great to see all of this like coming together and hearing about these film and TV adaptations that are coming out about like focus on Afrofuturist writing and telling these kinds of stories and stuff. And Black Panther, of course, like it was, Black Panther is kind of unique in that it wasn't created by black people but they gave it a wide berth and it was something that despite having being developed or that character being created in like the seventies, I think they were really radical in their thinking in that giving this character, you know, it one coming from an African nation that's unconquered coming from an African nation that has a more advanced technology than any other country on the planet. Like there's just, you know, having their leader and um, his successor, Shuri, being like hyper-intelligent geniuses, you know, Black Panther, superhero powers. Like the fact that this this kind of um, narrative was created by two white guys working for Marvel is, is pretty interesting to me. Um, but because it, it, I think it's important to note that, that while with all the Black Panther fanfare, the fact that Ryan Coogler is directing and it's very much like a Black produced like film in a sense you know like a lot of the casting the costumes everything is very very much black center but it's not a story that we created but it's one that we can ride with you know because it hits on all the right points it doesn't categorize us it doesn't fetishize us it doesn't give us some immovable past of like enslavement to try and get over before we can be recognized as 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 people and heroes so i i think it's 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 fantastic and just show, seeing what it did at the box office was i think proof enough that people are hungry for this kind of material and not just black people a lot of people are are supportive of black panther and those african futurism and afrofuturism because we live in a world where we you know we see each other and despite the fact that anti-black racism is alive and well everywhere in the world you know it's undeniable that creators those of us that are creators we we see each other you know and we we we're out here in this world creating so we want to create the things that we're seeing and the more of that we can support and advocate for and see out there in the world the more that things will continue to, to change
Amazing. And in light of people wanting to see your art, where is the furthest that you have gotten to travel uh, or been asked to present your art? And yeah, how many countries, if you don't mind sharing, have you gotten yeah, to no, go to so far? Yeah, I don't mind sharing at all. So South Korea is probably the furthest I've been. I was in South Korea and Seoul and Jeju Island uh, twice now in the last five, four years, something like that. I've been out to Berlin to show my work. Um, I have work that's shown in the UK and in Scotland, in England and in Scotland. And there's my first work actually in New York City at the Cooper Cole. There's a small work. I have one, one sculpture, small scale in an architecture show. Uh, showing right now actually at Cooper Cole in New York City. So if you get a chance, the show is called Model Behavior. Go and take a look at it and see one of the pieces if you're in NYC. Is there anywhere else that I'm missing? And a few provinces in Canada, of course. Yeah, I think that's the that's it. But I, I'm also anticipating there's going to be a lot more coming up, you know? Thank you. And I guess our final question for today, I have so much I could have asked you, but <laughs> and this is really amazing. But what do you value the most about the position you are in today and the work that you get to do? Well, the thing I value most I think in life in general is freedom. I think what I do affords me a certain level of freedom that I appreciate and don't ever want to sacrifice. You know, for a long time, for most of my life, I was a worker. You know, I had to go to work and you know, listen to the bosses and do what you're told and deal with all the racism and classism and everything else that you kind of don't want to deal with when you're doing something you don't want to do, but you need to earn a living. So you do the thing. And usually in those situations, when you're not happy with what you're doing, it's not just because your own personal dissatisfaction with the task. Usually there's more things involved. And for Black people in particular, usually racism somewhere exists in that, in that area of dissatisfaction and, and wanting more. So the fact that you know, I get to create every day and create my own schedule and pretty much have the freedom to do whatever I want, which is to just create more. You know, I'm actually uh, studying cartooning right now and developing a graphic novel, which I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to create a comic book. I used to draw comics when I was really young. And now with like the digital era and my iPad, I can, it's actually feasible because before I'm like, I'm not going to be drawing all this stuff. There's no way I'm physically drawing all of it. But when I'm using my, my iPad, I get to like innovate and draw in a different way. So very exciting. So yeah, all of these things definitely that I think what I value the most about my, my work and my position is that I do have this freedom to do what inspires me. And on top of that, what else is great about it is that I get to engage with people, whether directly talking and speaking with them in, in speaking engagements or just through my work, it gets to connect with people and just get out there in the world. And I get to be a defender of Black culture, you know, and I think that is like, it's more, it's really important. It's, it's, and I wish that for everybody, for our, like to just basically feel like protective of our culture and want to like get it out there more and to create it more but but to protect it because the level of appropriation it goes deep you know 
it goes deep, the amount of people profiting off of us, you know, our labors, while all the injustices that are being exacted upon us often just go unlooked, you know, ignored. But at the same time, people are happy to make money off of us. And I don't like that. I don't like it at all. So, uh, you know, this label of being a defender of Black culture is like, it's really important to me. Like, create it, put it out there, let people enjoy it. But you can still catch these hands. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> you know, right? this is our thing. <laughs> okay, you're a guest in the house. So you can check it out and stuff. But just remember, tread lightly. Okay. Oh, thank you so much, Eka. I definitely could have talked to you for a whole other hour because I definitely <laughs> have so many questions. And thank you for just really opening up about your story and your process and your passion. Really uh, enjoyed having you as a guest today. And uh, just briefly, I know we'll have in the show notes, but where can our audience find you to follow your work and to see your art? Yeah, totally. Um, Instagram is probably the best place. <laughs> To, to see my work and see what's happening, Echo or at Echo Namako, E-K-O-W-N-I-M-A-K-O. And my website, same name, www.echonamako.com. And yeah, you can find out about things that I'm doing, things that are coming up. I'm a little slow to update because we're, my staff and I, we're usually building and trying to get the building done as much as possible so all the tech stuff and online stuff that's like secondary but uh, we try to be better about it and, and keep people in the loop about what's happening and of course i have a show op that's open right now until january 10th at dunlop gallery in Regina. it's called building black civilizations journey of 2000 ships it's five no, four artworks all new created within the last couple of years this is the first time the work is being shown and it's likely going to tour that exhibit so coming to a city near you hopefully amazing yes <laughs> thank you so much again and we're so honored to have you at the okihi podcast today all right thank you for having me have yourself a great day <laughs>